Elaine if she could learn that song in like a couple days because that song really, uh, that Floodgate song really ministers to me. Um, just, I guess, you know, the cry of our hearts sometimes when we get a little bit overwhelmed in life that we can just sit there, Lord, just please open the floodgates in our life and wash out all the junk and bring in all the newness that he has to offer. Um, well, last week, last week we talked about the struggle, right? The struggle is real. And that uh, war that's going on in between our flesh and our spirit man. Um, not only is the, the, the war real, but the struggle is also for the real. Uh, we get bombarded with so much counterfeit stuff. All these cheap imitations in the, in the world today. Uh, cheap imitations of love and peace and patience. I mean, some of that stuff that may look like the fruit of the Spirit, um, like patience, could be just a counterfeit with apathy, right? Just kind of lost the will to care. And so the struggle is real between the works of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit. And that's what we talked about last week. This week, we're going to jump into Galatians 6, caring for casualties. And this is both um, reaching people that uh, may have been wounded or led astray, and then also bearing one another's burdens. So that's what we're going to talk about today. One of the greatest and most recognizable hymns of all time was written by a man named Robert Robinson. And he wrote this. You, you may have heard of it. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. I'll praise the mount I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. One of the most famous hymns of all time. Now, he was actually saved in his early 20s. He heard a sermon uh, by George Whitfield, the great evangelist, and was saved out of a life of sin. And he penned this, um, and he went into the ministry, actually, and became a minister. And then as his life went on, um, it, tells, it tells us that he actually kind of grew cold in his faith. He kind of wandered away. He kind of uh, lost his way. And so um, one day, a story's told that he got into a stagecoach. This is back, I think, in the 1700s. He got into a stagecoach, and there's a woman in there, and she's reading a book, and she's hymning a verse, and she says, check this out. Tell me what you think of this. And she starts reading the very hymn that he had written. And he says, stop, madam. I'm the poor, unhappy man that wrote that hymn many years ago. And I'd give a thousand worlds, if I had them, to enjoy the feelings that I had then. So he had wandered away. And the last, the last stanza of the hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, O oh, take and seal it, seal it for the courts above. Prone to wander. And uh, we all have that inside of us. Last week we talked about that spiritual battle that's going on between our flesh and our spirit, man. Um, now, some of those works of the flesh are stronger in some than in others, right? Some people, just their temperament, uh, they don't struggle, they don't wrestle with it as much, or at least we don't see that. And so the temptation is for us to uh, maybe get frustrated with those people, right? Or look down upon them to maybe become a little bit puffed up if we're looking at people uh, and it appears as if they have stuff more together than we do. In chapter 5, uh, we were talking about grace in you talking about how grace is formed in you. And now in chapter 6, we're going to talk about how grace is formed in others. Right? It's formed in us. The fruit is born in us, but it's not for us. The fruit doesn't nourish anybody unless it's given away. 
And so that fruit is born in us to sustain and to give to other people. And that's why Paul transitions from these works of the flesh into the fruits of the Spirit. Because we're going to need the fruits of the Spirit if we are going to minister to others. Uh, we're going to need love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control if we're going to do what's in this passage today. I think I got them all. <laughs> all right, let's read our passage for today. We are Galatians 6, verses 1 through 5. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one of us test his own work, and then the reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a, trans in a transgression, uh, the word restore in the Greek there is the word katarizo, and it actually refers to setting a, a broken bone or to fixing something that's been put out of joint. Um, so if we have a brother or sister that has uh, been caught in something, been caught up, and something's out of joint, then one of the things that we are to do as brothers and sisters is to come alongside them and help them um, restore, help restore that person. Uh, we shouldn't be quick to criticize, uh, but we also shouldn't be afraid to confront our brothers and sisters. Uh, one distinction that I want to make here on this as we get into uh, what we would call church discipline is that what we've been learning about in the book of Galatians is legalism, right? And the opposite of legalism being grace. And grace springs out of relationship. Everything in this Christian life is about relationship. And so when we talk about restoring others and, you know, talking to them, coming alongside them, uh, when we see them caught in a, in a transgression, uh, what we're talking about is people that we have relationship with, right? You have an open door to speak into my life. Uh, if Mark sees something in my life that is way off base, he has permission to come to me and speak into my life and say, quit being a bonehead. That might not be gentle and loving, but he could do that. But if I don't have a relationship with somebody and I walk up to them and say, hey, I noticed that you're over here and you're sinning um, and I need to correct you, it's probably not going to go very well because I don't have a relationship with them. Um, everything that we need to do needs to be motivated by love and the desire to restore that person. Um, that's what we're talking about. Uh, that's going to help us respond in the right way. So as we'll see in this passage, we're called to not only help restore each other, but we're also called to bear each other's burdens. So this has to do with relationship, being next to one another, being linked to each other. It's got to be personal. Peter addresses almost the exact same thing in 1 Peter 4. Uh, he is talking about being good stewards of, of the grace that we've been given by God. And that's the same thing that we've been talking about up to this point, is that that fruit is born in us, and we are simply stewarding it. Like so many other things in our life, whether it be finances, whether it be uh, things that we've been given, relationships, resources, we are simply stewarding them. And the grace that we've been given is the same. And he writes this in 1 Peter 4, uh, verse 8. It says, above all, the word all in the Greek means all. <laughs> above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers, it doesn't expose. 
So we have a tendency in our culture today to want to expose everything. We want to expose things. Uh, for some reason, people like to feed off of the failures of others, and so exposing is a big deal. Uh, there's a time for exposing, and we'll get into that, but our motive should be loving and to restore people gently. I'm not talking about covering things up, right? We don't just cover things up. What I'm talking about is when you have a relationship with somebody, you can come to them and say, listen, um, I see this thing in your life. We need to take care of it now before it spreads, before it gets out and starts affecting other people, starts creating more damage. So let's talk about it. Let's deal with it. Let's get it covered up, forgiven, repented, and then back to a healthy relationship. In Genesis 9, we have uh, kind of an unfortunate situation. We've got Noah and his family that have just been <coughs> delivered through the flood. The boat has landed on Mount Ararat, and uh, the waters have receded. And they come out, and God talks to Noah, and he's like, what did he say? Last week we touched on this. He said, be fruitful, go bear fruit, lavish life upon the earth. Be fruitful and multiply, is what our more traditional translations say. And uh, Noah was a man of the soil, it tells us. So when God told him, told him be fruitful, he could dig it. <laughs> and so he planted a vineyard. I know that was a bad one. That's okay. He planted a vineyard. That's what he did. And so one of the things that was high on his list, apparently, was to start making some wine. And so he did. And unfortunately, one night had a little bit too much to drink. Actually, a lot too much to drink. And he ends up passing out in his tent completely naked. Not a proud moment for Noah. And his son Ham walks in, finds him there, and he thinks it's kind of funny that the old man has had too much to drink and passed out. And so he runs to tell his brothers, Shem and Japheth. He's like, you guys got to come see this. Dad is totally smashed. He's laying in the tent completely naked. But they weren't laughing. They didn't want to uncover they didn't want to expose their dad's sin. They wanted to cover it up. They loved their dad. And so it tells us that what they did is they both grabbed a sheet and they walked backwards into the tent so they would not see their father's nakedness and they covered him up. Right? So true love covers. It doesn't expose. Right? Um, it wants to restore. The carnal man, the carnal man wants to reveal, but the spirit man wants to conceal it, wants to restore um, and Ham, unfortunately, uh, for that, Noah curses. He didn't curse Ham, which is interesting. He cursed his son. Cursed Canaan. That was his son. Canaan, as we could say, was pretty cursed. We don't know any Canaanites these days. Didn't end well for him. Um, we're all going to have people walk into our lives that need restoration. But are we going to be those that follow the leading of the Holy Spirit to approach them lovingly, gently, and help them cover, help them get to forgiveness and be restored. I believe that we're living in the end times. Uh, I believe we are very close to Jesus' return, and there's a number of reasons why I believe that. I know we've been saying that for about 2,000 years, uh, but I really feel like we're getting close. Uh, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and it's in Matthew 24, and they're asking him, about the end of the world. And they're saying, you know, when's it going to happen? How are we going to know when this is happening? Uh, Matthew 24, Jesus answers their question. This is verse 10. Matthew 24, 10. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. 
And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Basically, you're going to see a bunch of people that were once followers, once on fire, once dedicated followers of Jesus, that started following at a distance and then fell out of relationship, and then their love waxed cold. Right? That's what you're going to. That's what you're going to find in the end times. And he's not telling us this so we can be surprised. He's not telling us so we can be bummed about it. He's telling us so that we can be prepared for it. There's going to be people that we need to reach out to. We know what's coming. How are we going to handle it? And that's what he's telling us. This is what's going to happen. It's been said that Christianity is a crutch. Uh, Karl Marx, the great thinker, right, said that religion is the opioid of the masses. It's just there to kind of deaden, uh, to make an excuse for our behavior. Interesting, uh, Karl Marx is in a Jewish family. Uh, he was Jewish, and his father owned a business, and for whatever reason, where they were living, it wasn't good. Uh, things were going south, and so he moved his family to another, another city. And when they got there, there wasn't a synagogue. They were a very devout family before. And when they moved there, there wasn't a synagogue, and uh, that wasn't good for business. So his dad came home one day, and he said, we are no longer Jewish. We are going to be Episcopal, or whatever it was. They changed religions because that was going to be beneficial for them. And uh, that set him, Karl Marx, on a very slippery road away from religion um, because it was thrown away so quickly. But it said that Christianity is a crutch, uh, and we would be inclined to start arguing against that if somebody said that to us. But the, re the reality is, is that it is a crutch, but it's so much more than that. It is the wheelchair, it is the gurney, the ambulance, the hospital, the surgery room, right. we are hopelessly lost yes. without a savior. Yes. So when somebody says Christianity is a crutch, you can tell them it's actually way more than that. <laughs> way more than that. But it's not just it's not just a hospital, it's also a school. Right? Paul told Timothy, he said, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, but rightly handling the word of truth. So it's also a school. Um, it's also a gym. <laughs> Paul told the Philippians in chapter 2, he said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out those spiritual muscles. Don't get spiritually flabby. It's also a restaurant. It's a place where the milk and the meat of the Word are to be served up weekly for the nutrition of the saints. It's also going to be a temple. We know that. The church is a temple. It's a place where our sacrifices and our offerings and our praise and our thanksgiving can be lifted every week. And lastly, what we're called to be are travel agents. Travel agents. Letting people know that their ticket has been purchased. It's been punched. All they need to do is accept. Accept what's been given. So, yes, the church is a hospital. Um, it's been said that the church is not a museum for the saints, it's a hospital for the sinners. Mm -hmm. And so Bethany will be a place where broken people and hurting people can come and find refuge, find healing. That's what I want this church to be, not a museum for the saints, as much as I love you all. <laughs> Paul is telling them, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. You who are more spiritual, not, not you who are more superior than, just those of you that are further along in your walk with Jesus. But be careful that you don't get sucked in, don't get caught up in the same stuff that they're wrapped in. 
You know, if you're in the hospital and you see the doctor and the nurses suiting up and they've got, you know, the scrubs on and they're putting gloves on and masks, you don't lay there and, and say, oh, I see, you guys think you're better than me. <laughs> they're doing it for their protection and they're doing it for your protection, right? We're to be careful. Um, we are to confront gently, but also cautiously knowing that the same thing lives inside of us. That same sin nature that is going on, that same war that's going on in somebody, causing them uh, to act out of those works of the flesh is ready inside of us if we're not careful. If we're going to minister effectively to people, we have to realize that we too are capable of the very same thing. We have to realize that if we're going to minister effectively. Um, we need to be careful that we're not looking down on other people, uh, that we don't destroy them with an air of superiority, thinking that we're better than them. Uh, this is really the practical stuff of Christianity that brings a lofty idea of love and brings it down to street level where the rubber meets the road. Now, there's a couple of examples as it pertains to uh, church discipline and people that we are reaching out to restore. The one that we've been talking about we could call the uh, blundering believer, right? Somebody who has made a mistake. They made a mistake and it has crippled them or it's trapped them in some way. They've been caught. Uh, that word caught, uh, somebody's been caught in a transgression, uh, transgression, is the word that's used when an animal has cornered its prey. And so because of some mistake, uh, they have been cornered, they've been crippled, and it's our job as believers to come alongside them and help rescue them out of that situation. Um, these are the ones that uh, we can restore by, you know, resetting things. You know, it's resetting a bone or um, something that's become out of joint. If anybody's had a bone been reset or something that was out of joint, you know how painful it is. Uh, it can be painful, but it's necessary for healing to occur. Uh, when Devin was very young, I know he was like two or three years old, I had him on my shoulders and we were um, kind of playing around and I had his arms like this and we were kind of going back and forth and then he said, ow, and I had inadvertently pulled his shoulder out of socket um, or his elbow, it was like your elbow or, or something and I laid him on the bed and I was just horrified that I had done this to my son. So we ran into the hospital and we're sitting in the waiting room and the whole time he's just, you know, holding his arm, he's quiet, he's not saying anything. And the doctor comes in, and he takes a look at him, kind of chuckles a little bit. He's like, well, he said, this is what we call nurse's elbow. It's really not that big of a deal. And so he just literally, like, just, like, popped it right back into place, gave him a teddy bear. And within a couple minutes, he's just, you know, running around the room again. So uh, he had something that was out of joint, just needed to be popped back in, and then he was fine again. He was restored and running around. <clears throat> now, that's the first type of restoration. The second one is a lot more serious, and this is an individual... Uh, that needs to be dealt with in a whole other matter. Uh, we can call this one the bragging backslider. Uh, this is somebody who is clearly living in open sin and uh, isn't shy about it. They're still in the body, but they are not sorry for the way that, we're li that they're living. And in 1 Corinthians 5, uh, we see an example of this. And Paul has gotten word from the Corinthian church that uh, some things are happening there that are not right. In 1 Corinthians 5, this is uh, actually verse 1. It says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and a kind that is not even tolerated among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not to rather mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in the body, I am present in spirit, if present, then I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such things. 
When you assemble in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Delivered to Satan. Pretty strong words. Uh, it was interesting, Elena and I uh, went earlier this week to check out IHOP at University uh, International House of Prayer um, University to check out their school of ministry there. And Alicia went with her on Wednesday and uh, got to sit in on some of the, the worship classes, the music classes, and I went on Thursday to check out a theology class and kind of see what was going on there. It was interesting because it was actually taught by the president of IHOP there at the campus. The guy was phenomenal. It's about an hour and a half sermon. Um, I almost jumped up and shouted hallelujah a couple times. <laughs> the guy was awesome. He was really good. Um, but in the middle of it, they were talking about God's plan of redemption, and he said something about this verse. And he said, you know, deliver that man to Satan. He said, that's something you're not going to hear preached on very often. I was like, I'm preaching on that this weekend. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. Strong words. But this is a person who was boasting about living in immorality. They were not shy about it. Paul saying, are you kidding me? Like, you guys think that you're applying grace here. We talked about applying grace liberally, right, last week. He says, you're not. You're not having grace on this person. In fact, what you're doing by not addressing it is you're condoning it. And just like a little bit of leaven, leaven's the whole lump, it's going to start to spread throughout the body, and it's going to cause damage. It's going to start polluting the body, and it's going to destroy them. You have got to get this person out of there. Send that person away so their flesh can be destroyed, and maybe, maybe, just maybe, that their spirit will be saved. And we don't want anybody to perish in their sin. We don't. Not at all. Um, but if they're not going to be repentant, they're not going to find peace. They're not going to find joy. They're not going to find fellowship in the church when they're living that way. Um, they're just not. They're not going to enjoy the richness of studying the scriptures. Like the prodigal, they need to be let go so that they can go experience the stupidity of their sin and realize it for what it is and come back and be repentant and be healed. Now, obviously, this is the extreme example. Um, we don't want to do this to anybody. But if somebody is doing this in the church, somebody that is blatantly living this way, we are to go to them and say, listen, we love you. We have talked to you. We've made ourselves available to you. But because you continue to live in this lifestyle, because you're living um, arrogantly uh, backsliding, then you're no longer welcome in this body because what you're doing is going to destroy you and it's going to pollute the people here. And then hopefully, hopefully what happens is um, they come to their senses, right, and repent. But what happens more often than not is it never really even gets to that point. Um, but where did the prodigal come to his senses? Came to his senses in the pig pen, right? That's where he came to his senses and said, this is not who I am. I need to go back to the Father. Now, the father didn't want to see him go. Of course not. But if he had tried to keep his rebellious son there, he would have torn his family apart. And it may have even destroyed his son. Remember, rebellious sons could be brought before the elders and stoned to death. So he lets him go to experience that sin um, and ends up, his soul gets saved. Matthew 18, Jesus actually gives us the model for this. Uh, Jesus is talking about, if you have something against your brother... Go and talk to him about it. Don't talk to other people. Go talk to your brother about it. And if you can't find some common ground, then go and get two or three witnesses and bring them in and talk to them. And if that doesn't work, then bring them before the church. 
And if that don't work, then you got to show them the door. But again, it doesn't usually get to that point. Um, that is the time to expose, right? We have to approach them, try to lovingly restore them, cover it, forgive it, lead them to repentance. If that doesn't happen, we have to bring some more people in and eventually before the church. Jesus says if they don't listen, treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. Treat them like the IRS man <laughs> who's coming. Uh, and lastly, another example is the beguiled believer. So um, we have the beguiled believer, the one who has wandered or just strayed in some way. Maybe they've fallen into some kind of heresy. Uh, they are no longer grounded biblically, and it's our job to come alongside them. This is kind of where the church acts as a school, where we can lovingly and teaching show people where they're off faith, if they've left uh, the straight and narrow. Uh, these are people kind of like Robert Robinson. They were saved. They were set on fire. They were excited. They entered the ministry, so to speak, whether or not it was professional. Uh, they were in, and then they've wandered in some way. In James, our good buddy James, uh, he says this. James 5, verse 19. It says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. His soul was saved from death. Now, sometimes there's people in our life uh, that we're going to meet that are beguiled in some way. Um, they are deceived where they are uh, bought into a false doctrine that has led them um, off the biblical path. Uh, I like to talk about the, the TV series, the VidAngel series, The Chosen. Um, if you haven't seen The Chosen, you need to see it, or I'm going to bring you up here in front of the church. <laughs> I love it. But one of my favorite characters in The Chosen is the, is the guy Nicodemus, the guy who plays Nicodemus. It is a powerful um, example. And so we know Nicodemus. He was one of the main teachers of Pharisees of Israel, and he wants to talk to Jesus. He has his eyes open. He's searching for the Messiah. And he meets Jesus on a rooftop at night. Uh, it's Nick at night. And uh, he's going to Jesus. He wants to ask him some questions. And Jesus can see that he's searching. And Nicodemus kind of starts out uh, by kind of flattering a little bit, like, hey, Jesus, we know that you're from God. You know, we, nobody could do the things that you do unless God was with you. And uh, Jesus can see that he is close. And so he's very, uh, he's very direct with Nicodemus. And he says, listen, unless you are born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus kind of gets confused, like, what are you talking about, born of the Spirit? And Jesus is like, you know, you're a teacher. You're the teacher in Israel, and you don't understand these things. And uh, he's telling them, this is who I am. This is the reason that I've come. And it took Nicodemus a little while, but he did. He was a disciple of Jesus. He came around. Uh, he was actually one of the, the few people that went to the Romans after he was crucified and asked for the body. Uh, that would have cost him uh, dearly. That would have cost him his reputation. may have even cost him his standing uh, as a Pharisee on the council. Uh, but it would have been something serious. But his soul was saved from death. He was brought back. And there are people that cross our paths that are searching. Uh, they're way off base. But all we need to do is share the gospel with them and let the Spirit do its work. Remember, the Spirit works internally. Uh, we might think, I don't know what to say to this person. right? I don't have the words. I'm not eloquent. Um, but if people were saved by simply eloquent words, um, 
Well, there might be a lot more people saved, or there might be a lot fewer. <laughs> um, people are saved by people that you know come into a place like this. You know, I mean, some, it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter who you listen to. It's the Holy Spirit that draws people to Him. So all we have to do is be faithful uh, to what God's asking us to do. I was uh, meeting with uh, Sean Phillips, the pastor over at Journey Church, uh, earlier this week. He was talking about uh, where he was reading about Ananias. And Ananias and Saul, and we know the story that Saul was you know, headed to Damascus. God knocked him off his high horse. Uh, he struck blind. He goes into the city and he sits there for three days in the dark. And um, God tells Saul that there is a man named Ananias that's coming to see him. Now, it's interesting what he was saying uh, to me is that God told Saul that a man named Ananias was coming to see him before he told Ananias. And how many Ananiases did he have to go through before he found one that would be obedient? It was actually a pretty common name. The high priest's name was Ananias. And then we know in the book of Acts there was Ananias and Sapphira, ones that lied about the property that they sold. Um, so it wasn't an uncommon name. And uh, God spoke to Ananias. And how many does he need to go through before, um, you know, somebody is obedient uh, might tell somebody that, hey, some short guy with a goatee is going to come talk to you <laughs> and share something with you that how many guys does he need to go through before we're obedient. We have a part to play. God has invited us to partner with him. Hebrews 4, verse 12, uh, says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. All we have to do is speak it out. That's it. We don't have to be eloquent. We don't have to know everything. We just have to put it very simply and let the Spirit do its work. As these days continue, we're going to have some casualties. We're going to have some difficult people that cross our paths. But we need wisdom to know how to diagnose what's going on in their life uh, so that we can you know, write the right prescription for them so that they can get healthy. We need wisdom in those areas. Okay, back to Galatians. Chapter 6, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? I mean, we're free from the law of Moses. Now, not free from the law of God, right? The Ten Commandments, we're still under those. Free from the law of Moses, but we're still under the law of Christ, which is love God and love others, right? Love Jesus and love other people. That is the law of Christ. Uh, love your neighbor. So who is our neighbor? It's the one that's near you. It's the one that's close to you, right? This whole thing that we've been talking about uh, is about relationship. And you can only help carry somebody else's burden if you're right next to them. Um, it's personable. There's a vulnerability in it to come up next to somebody and help them carry their burden. Uh, we need a knowledge that it can't be done alone. We, we admit that. Um, and so we get to come alongside people and help them. That's the reason why we're to be living in community. Uh, we're not to be out on our own. I mentioned the barren fig tree last week, that Jesus came up on the fig tree and there wasn't any fruit on it and it got cursed. Well, it tells us that it was a lone fig tree. And the fig trees, um, they need some cross-pollination to be able to bear fruit. And so I don't know how this one got there. I don't know if there were other ones around it that got cut down, but it was there by itself. And it couldn't be fruit. It didn't need, uh, it didn't have everything that it needed to be fruitful. Um, turn with me to Numbers. 11. Numbers 11, we have a great example here of what happens when we stick together and when we help bear one another's burdens. 
This is a lot of scripture, but that's okay. The people of Israel had left Sinai. God had provided for them by uh, leaving manna outside. So every morning they get to go outside, there was a fresh batch of manna. Um, literally, manna means what is it? So every morning, like, huh? Again? More? And they had it every day, and they started to complain. They started to complain. And verse 4 says this, Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again, saying, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. And the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. Really? <laughs> you had all that in Egypt. All free. All that good food. Sometimes our memories aren't too good. I'll say that. When we start to complain, when we aren't happy, we start thinking it was better back where we came from. Back down to verse 10. Moses heard the people weeping throughout the clans and everyone at their door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? Why have, you not, why have I not found favor in your sight? You lay the burden of all these people on me. Did I conceive these people? Did I give them birth? That you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they weep before me and say, Give us meat that we may eat. I'm not able to carry all these people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you'll treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. I think it's interesting that he says that I might not see my wretchedness. I would have said, kill me so I don't see their wretchedness. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of hearing them complain. But Moses is so aware that the same sin nature is in him. He is capable of the exact same thing. So he's like, I don't want to get to that point. I can't do this anymore. I can't bear the burden. If I found favor in your eyes, just kill me. I don't want to see my wretchedness get to that point. So he's having a rough day. Uh, he's a little overwhelmed, and I don't blame him. Uh, the estimates, well over a million people. Probably closer to two or three million. Um, all in the door of their tents, weeping for meat. I would have been a little overwhelmed, too. Um, I remember when our kid, we had three under five at one point. And you walk into the room and they're all crying at once. And you just kind of look at each other like, are you kidding? Like, I can't do this. Please come home. <laughs> Please come home. I think that was about the time you started staying home full time. <laughs> okay, verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tent of the meeting, and let them take their stand with you there. And I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you, and put it on them, and thou shalt bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. And say to the people, Consecrate themselves. And God put his spirit on these seventy men, and they began to prophesy pretty awesome. God did come down. He put a spirit that he had on Moses, he put on the 70 men, and they began to prophesy. It's actually kind of funny because there were two men in the camp. They weren't part of the 70 that got invited, but they were back in the camp, and the spirit fell on them too. It's part of the unintended consequence. Sometimes when we do the one anothering, it spills out onto people that we didn't anticipate. And then Joshua hears about it. He runs up to Moses. He's like, Josh, you know, Moses, hey, there's two guys in the camp. 
that are prophesying that aren't part of the 70. You've got to tell them to stop. Listen to Moses' response. This is great. He says, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Saying, Are you kidding me? I'll take all the help I can get. I wish he put his spirit on all of them. We're called to bear fruit. We're also called to bear one another's burdens. All right, Galatians, verse 3. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Paul said it just a few verses ago. He said, don't be conceited, right? Don't be puffed up. Don't think of yourself more often than you should. If you think you're important, stick your finger in a bucket of water. Take it out and see how long it takes for the hole that fill up, <laughs> for that hole to fill up. Um, be used by God. Bear fruit. Be led by Him. But don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Don't be deceived. In John 15, 5, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, Without me, you can do nothing. Right? Not that you are nothing, but you can do nothing without me. You have to abide in me. If you abide in me, you're going to bear fruit. So we talked about last week. So, unless we abide in him, we can do nothing. Um, and if we're looking down on others, if we are becoming conceited, uh, becoming puffed up, then we negate the law of Christ, which is what we're supposed to be doing. Make sense? Okay, verse 4. But let each one test his own work, and then reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Test your own work. Uh, this might be one of the biggest tricks of the enemy uh, that he uses against all of us, and it's the, uh, the lie of comparison. It's you know, getting our eyes off of the standard, which is him, and looking around at other people, uh, trying to test our work by others. Uh, we get puffed up and we think, wow, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. You know? At least I'm not them. And that becomes our standard instead of looking at Jesus. So uh, we either get conceited or we get condemned when we start looking around and comparing ourselves. And really being conceited is just a, a lack of compassion is what it is. Um, because we are not recognizing that that lives inside of us too. And we're capable of the very same thing. So we have a lack of love uh, towards that other person, um, thinking that we are morally superior. Um, and then we can either become arrogant or we can fall into despair because our joy is not in the one who holds us up. Right? We can start to think, I am just so far behind, so far below. That person over there, they're involved in everything. Uh, just doesn't seem like anything bothers them. Um, and I'm just, I'm worthless compared to that. I mean, those people have their stuff together. Did anybody watch the God's Chisel video uh, that I'd sent out? Love you. Some of you maybe have seen it before. Um, in that, the guy who represents you and me is talking to God and uh, he's just, God's getting ready to chisel away. And he says, be careful, you know, I just, I want you to know ahead of time that you're going to find some stuff in there that ain't real pretty. Um, I mean, I'm a messed up person. I'm pretty jacked up. And God says, you know, you've been listening to the lies of the enemy for so long. You think that you're junk. You think you're junk. Because the enemy has lied to you and told you that for so long. I don't make junk. When we are in Him, we're new creations, right? We talked about this. We are sons and daughters. We are heirs. Our position is different. Um, we're not to be comparing ourselves with other people, right? We're not to get conceited. We're not to fall into despair, thinking that we're so far behind. We just need to see ourselves the way Jesus does. We all have different 
giftings, we all have different abilities, we have all you know, different responsibilities, uh, different opportunities laid before us. Verse 5, uh, our last verse here, says, For each one will have to bear his own load. Each of us um, will stand alone before God on Judgment Day. Uh, nobody else, don't get to stand with our kids, don't get to stand with our spouses, with our mom and dad, our heritage, uh, will stand alone uh, with our load. And you might think this is a little bit contradictory. Wait a minute. You said we're supposed to bear each other's burdens, and now it says each man's got to carry his own load. What is that about? Well, it's actually two different words that are used here in the Greek. Uh, the first word for burden is baros, which uh, means like an overweight burden, something like a freight uh, that really we can't, can't carry on our own. And the other word, uh, fortuno, fortuno, is a small weight, kind of like a backpack. So while we can't carry a burden by ourselves, we can all carry our own backpack, right? Um, a burden is something that can be thrust upon you, can be placed on you, something that feels like it's going to crush you, something that um, you can't handle that's going to bust outside of the boundaries of your little world and create chaos around you. This could be things like an illness or a death or a financial burden or a disaster of some kind. These are the kind of things that will feel like they're going to crush you uh, if you don't have somebody else come alongside you. Um, I'll give you the best example that I can think of, at least in our life. Um, you guys all know us, you know our story, but when Levi was diagnosed with cancer and we relocated to Memphis, uh, we had literally hundreds of people come alongside us uh, to help us bear that burden. Um, hundreds of people that will never meet this side of heaven that prayed for us. Uh, we had people who traveled with us, some literally traveled with us uh, when we went to Memphis, people that um, fed us, people that housed us. Uh, people that provided for us financially so our entire family could be down there during that season. Uh, and even during that season when it did feel at times like it was going to crush us, we had so many other people come alongside and help us carry that burden, being the hands and feet of Jesus. Uh, we even ended up, we got, went to, once we were finally able to, uh, we went to this huge Baptist church there uh, in Millington. And it was, I mean, within two weeks, there were people at our door with food. It was crazy. The Baptists are great at hospitality. <laughs> they are great. I think that's probably the reason why we went there. They were good. I was talking, this is interesting. I got a phone call from a guy that I work with this week. So unusual. He had a question, um, and it was a silly question. He could have just emailed me uh, or, or called me on the phone, but he, he video called me, and we're talking, and I answered his question, and he said, how's the church going? <clears throat> Which I, I hadn't even told him that we were doing a church, so the word had gotten around apparently. And he knew, and he was asking, and so we started to talk, and he said, you know, we were raised Catholic, and, um, you know, my wife was too, but we haven't been to church in a long time, and, you know, my wife has a problem with the Catholic church, and, uh, but now our daughter is getting older, and, you know, we, we want to get into church, and a lot of her friends go to these non-denominational churches, we don't really know what we should do. And it was interesting, because I haven't had this happen in a long time, and so, you know, he's reaching out, this is somebody who is kind of, again, kind of wandered away from the faith. I mean, he even said, he goes, when I grew up, we were in church all the time um, in Catholic church. Uh, but now he didn't really know what to do. And I said, you know what? Uh, if you like the Catholic church, but you have a problem with it, if your wife's not going to go back there, maybe you could find like a good Baptist church. Um, they say hymns. Um, they're real structured and you, people will take care of you there. You will leave. People will know your name. 
and uh, you, know, you won't feel like a stranger. So uh, that was a really neat opportunity as God opened a door to talk with a coworker uh, that I haven't talked to in months and share, um, hopefully, a seed of truth with them. Um, a load as it's used here, uh, used to describe a backpack. We can each carry our own backpack, um, our own load, so to speak. Um, in Matthew 25, this is the last set of parables that Jesus tells before he's betrayed. And it's interesting, if you've been in church for any length of time, you've heard of the parable of the talents, and it's sandwiched right in between the parable of the ten virgins and uh, the parable of the sheep and the goats. So you've got the ten virgins, the five that were prepared, they had the oil ahead of time. Uh, all ten of them were waiting for the bridegroom, and uh, five of them had went and purchased extra oil, and five of them had not. And when the bridegroom came, uh, the ones that were prepared got to go into the feast with them, being heaven. So basically Jesus saying, hey, be prepared. I'm coming back. The master's coming back. The bridegroom's coming. Be prepared. And then you've got the parable of the sheep and the goats, the final judgment where God is separating uh, the sheep and the goats. And the sheep on one side, he says, you guys get to go into the kingdom. You get to enter into my joy. The goats, you guys are going into hell. And basically, the only difference between the two is what they did with Jesus and what they did for him. The sheep, he says, when you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. And to the goats, he says, you guys didn't even do it to the least of these. You rejected me, and you rejected my lead, and you didn't do anything even to the least of these. But right in between, I'm coming back, be prepared, and the final judgment is the parable of the talents. Basically, while you're waiting, I've got stuff for you to do. You need to be busy. Um, between that, he has things for us to do. And this is in Matthew 25, verse 14. <coughs> this is a lot of scripture, so bear with me. We're almost done. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each according to his ability. And then he went away. And he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward and bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you have delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you do not scatter seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him, give it to him who has the ten talents for no one. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. 
But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, Matthew 25 actually is uh, kind of one of the most terrifying chapters to me in all the Bible. Um, uh, talking about be prepared. They were all waiting for the bridegroom, right? But only half of them were prepared. Um, then you have this one. Uh, each was given to, according to his ability. We're not all given the same amount. But they're not judged on the amount they were given. They were judged on what they did with what they were given. And then you have, um, you know, the judgment, the final judgment, the sheep and the goats, based on what they did or didn't do. And some who were surprised, right? Well, we did all these things in your name, God. I said, well, I didn't know you. You might have done a bunch of stuff. You might have been active. But it wasn't to me. It was for yourself. I didn't even know you. So that's a, that's a scary chapter of the Bible. But we each have an individual load. While Jesus is gone, there is the expectation that we are busy, that we're doing something with that load, that responsibility we give. Mine is different from yours, and that's okay. Right? It's all right. We're based on, uh, we will get our rewards based on what we did with what we were given. Um, but if we take it like the man who was given one and buried in the dirt, it ain't going to be pretty. Um, we have our own load, load to carry, uh, but we also have need of the one another in a fellowship so that we can come alongside each other and bear one another's burdens. God had community in mind when he developed you and me. When he created us, we were created to live together. Try to carry these heavy burdens, though, by yourself, and it ain't going to be a pretty sight. Does anybody hear about that sheep that escaped in Australia that they found? Awesome. Okay. <laughs> Put the, put the picture up there. There was a sheep. It had gotten off the farm in Australia. It had escaped. And apparently there were woods nearby. And it had been out there for years. And some people found it. And this is what it looked like. It was on the verge of death, really, because it could barely see. It wasn't eating very well. When they shaved its fleece, it weighed 77 pounds. It was supposed to be sheared every year, right? But because he was off on his own, this is what happened to him. Do the after picture. Show what he looked afterwards. It's crazy. They finally sheared him. If we're trying to carry heavy burdens on our own, it ain't going to be pretty. We're going to get weighed down. We've been called to be those that lovingly and gently approach brothers and sisters that have been caught in, in transgressions, restore them, right? Cover that sin. Deal with it immediately and lead them back to repentance. And we're also called to be those that come alongside one another and bear each other's burdens. It might be something that we have that they need, right? Something that we can provide, something that we better be, you know, uh, knowledge that we have, whether it be resources that we have, to come alongside and bring them back on the path. So that is our responsibility. That's what we talked about today. Now, uh, next week, you guys can come on up. Next week, what we're going to talk about um, is even more so uh, the, the principle of giving and the principle of doing good to those that are of the body of Christ. Uh, I thought it would be appropriate since we were talking about it, uh, Robert Robinson and the hymn that he wrote, uh, to go ahead and sing that this morning. And I asked Elena to learn that one too. Uh, so she's been a little bit busy this week, but um, I'm excited to sing this. It just fits in perfectly with the message today of how each of us are prone to wander 
but he's so gracious to put people in our lives uh, to bring us back. Amen?
that we are prone to wander. Lord, like sheep, we've gone astray. There's a reason why you call us sheep, Lord. Uh, I pray that we would follow you, follow the leading of the shepherd. God, whether that is walking alongside brothers and sisters uh, that have been caught up in something in life uh, or have gone astray in some way, God, give us wisdom in how to assess those situations so that we can um, speak truth to them in love and guide them back to you. God, give us a heart for people that are hurting, for people that are carrying burdens that are too big for them. God, that we can come alongside them and help them carry them. Um, God, just make us compassionate, compassionate hearts um, that we will abide in you and fulfill your law by loving other people. God, I pray over your people this week as they go out. Uh, just bless them. Give them opportunities, Lord, to share you with other people around them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right.